the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you, eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're underway on Always Right Radio. Online at alwaysright.us, AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. It's the 10th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and we are living in a lawless society governed by a lawless regime, which has no qualms whatsoever about breaking federal law and endangering people's lives in order to advance an agenda that they support. That is the reality of where we are today, and it's what we're going to talk about for a good portion of the next three hours and a good portion of the three hours after that. I'll be in for Dennis Prager once again today. So if you uh, have the opportunity and would like to join the national conversation that I'll have with that audience, that'll be coming up at noon to 3 on DennisPrager.com, the Salem News Channel, and so on and so forth. You'll get the last two hours here on AM 1420, The Answer After Charlie Kirk. But we've got our own business to take care of coming up this morning. In about a half an hour, we're going to talk about election fraud. We're going to be talking about not theory, not conspiracy, but proof, video and forensic proof of election fraud, the type of election fraud that literally 
changed the course of American history when the election was stolen from Donald J. Trump by way, in part, mind you, by way of ballot harvesting and ballot fraud. That is the reality of what we found out in the movie 2,000 Mules. I watched it last night, didn't get a chance to watch it on Saturday, in which it was uh, the uh, virtual premiere was held, but I did watch it last night. And it is every bit as eye-opening and jaw-dropping as we told you it would be when we interviewed Dinesh D'Souza, the filmmaker, uh, a little over a week ago. It was just mind-blowing. The brazenness with which this election fraud was carried out in the key battleground states of Georgia and Arizona and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, simply jaw-dropping. And I apologize for the redundancy and the repetitiveness, but there's there are very few words to describe how you feel about it. Other than infuriating, that's another one. You know, I asked my wife to watch it with me last night. She said no, and I said why. And she said, because I already know what happened, and all it's going to do is make me more angry. And you know, she was not wrong, because I watched it, and it made me more angry. Especially, again, just the open the casualness, basically, with which they did this. Um, They had to know that there was video on certain drop boxes. They didn't stop anyway. It is just a... I I can't explain it to you without saying watch the movie 2000mules.com, 2000mules.com, 2000mules.com. But I will try to explain it with one of the persons behind 2000mules.com. And that is uh, the president and founder of True the Vote, Catherine Engelbrecht. She'll be joining me coming up in less than a half an hour at about 935. Catherine Engelbrecht has been trying to work toward election integrity for a very long time, starting out in Texas with irregularities in Texas voter, uh, uh, not just voter laws, but uh, previous elections, voter rolls needing to be cleaned up and so forth. She found election fraud in Texas, but this is so much bigger. They are in possession of over 4 million minutes of videotape, video evidence of the uh, theft of the 2020 election. It's just, it's mind-boggling. It really is. Catherine Engelbrecht at 9.35. Then, of course, at 10.10, you know what today is. It's Tuesday. And that means, of course, that it is Kersenau Day. Peter Kersenau Peter and I will discuss 2,000 Mules as well as the ongoing lawless society in which we are living because we have no... Uh, concern for laws in a lawless administration. And that's the reality. I'll get to that as part of the monologue after I ask you now at 12 minutes after the hour to rise, patriots, and face a flag near you. Please put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you are a believer in stealing the election, which is a true assault on democracy, that's exactly what happened. It is an assault on democracy. It is a threat to democracy. It is the killing. It is the death of democracy. If you believe in that, as a Brandon supporter and a left-wing activist who, who believes that Trump was so bad that the ends justify the means, by any means necessary, steal the election, hijack the election, defraud the election, whatever you got to do, don't let Trump win the election. If you believe in all of that, then we know who you are and what you are, and you are exempted from having to pledge your allegiance to this flag because you do not have allegiance to this country. Why don't you just go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback? 
for the rest of us. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So why do I open up the program today by declaring that we live in a lawless society? Why do I declare that we have absolutely no faith and can have no faith in the justice system, the criminal justice system, uh, the Department of Justice? Well, there's a pretty good reason, because the Department of Justice is completely and totally ignoring massive violations of federal law by allowing Supreme Court justices to be targeted in their homes at night with harassment and intimidation, all because they might interfere with the left's ability to kill at will. I didn't stutter. All because they might interfere with the left's ability to kill at will. To kill babies anytime, any place, for any reason, at any stage of gestation. That's the reality. The Department of Justice under Attorney General Merrick Garland has been absolutely silent about the continued protests by abortion pro-death cult members outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes, despite a federal law. We talked about this yesterday with a caller. U.S. Code 1507 that says any individual who pickets or parades with the intent of interfering with obstruction or impeding the administration of justice or with the intent of influencing any judge, judge, juror, witness, or court officer near a U.S. court or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, juror, witness, or court officer will be fined or imprisoned not more than one year or both. Merrick Garland hasn't made a peep, not a sound, not a boy that's regretful, not a we really hope that they'll stop, not a hey, you guys don't do that. Nothing from the Attorney General leading the Department of Justice, even as the private homes of the six Republican-appointed justices have been targeted with some of the most vile and disgusting intimidation tactics that you can even imagine. Merrick Garland has made no statements whatsoever, according to a senior fellow at National Review Institute and Fox News contributor Andy McCarthy. The Biden DOJ is being silent on this for the same reason as the White House. They're elevating their political interest in portraying the draft Supreme Court opinion as extreme over their constitutional duty to execute the laws faithfully and protect both the court and the justices. That is exactly correct. Andy McCarthy is spot on. There is an oath that is taken by the the, uh, uh, Attorney General, who leads the Department of Justice, and by, of course, the President and his staff, that they would put the laws of the land and the constitutional responsibilities with which they are tasked over their own personal political preferences. McCarthy said, I would note that months ago when Attorney General Garland unjustifiably dispatched the FBI to investigate parents who were protesting the inclusion of racist and anti-American materials in school curricula, Garland claimed that the Justice Department had an interest in protecting teachers and school administrators. Not only was it untrue that schools were under siege, 
The relationship between parents and schools is a state and local issue, not a federal one. Hypothetically, if a parent were to assault a teacher, it would be a state crime, not a federal crime. But Garland decided to interject with the FBI, making it a federal case. Well, now we have actual federal crimes being committed against federal officials, they being the Supreme Court justices of the United States, and suddenly he's got nothing. No FBI, no no uh, breaking up the crowds, no, none of those things. Think about how repugnant that is. No concern or consideration for the law, and no concern or consideration for the Constitution. Nothing. Pam Bondi, former Attorney General, who knows a little bit about the job in the state of Florida, made it very, very clear what Merrick Garland's obligation here is as the Attorney General of the United States of America. It is illegal what they're doing. And Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, should be out there arresting them. Here's why. 18 U.S.C. 1507. It is a crime to picket a judge's house with the intent to influence them. This opinion has not yet been released. They are attempting to influence them. Every person out there. And then you've got Sonny Houston, Holston. You know what she is? She's a lawyer. She's on TV. She's not only a lawyer, she's their chief legal analyst saying it's okay for what these people are doing. They are out there committing a crime. This isn't a peaceful protest. The law is very clear. You cannot go to a judge's home with intent to influence them. And the law is there for a very good reason. And Sean, that's another reason our United States Supreme Court justices, they're lifetime appointments. So they cannot be influenced. And, you know, I would guarantee you even the most liberal justices are mortified and horrified. It's what's, what's happening in front of their colleagues' homes, because they right. all act with civility and camaraderie. She is exactly correct, of course, every single word of that, but none of that correctness and none of the, those those law-type things, none of those constitution-type things matter to an unconstitutional uh, federal administration, like the branded administration. They are completely and wholly without integrity, and without any redeemable qualities whatsoever as they run this lawless society. That's the reality of the situation. Jen Psaki is the press secretary for now for just a few more days. I think she's out in about three days, and then they allow the first openly black and openly gay uh, United States press secretary to take the job because she's going to be completely fair and unbalanced. By the way, did we mention she's openly gay? Yeah, first one ever. First one to, to, to declare publicly that she likes sex with women. How about that? Instead of men, she likes sex with people of the same sex as her. And that's important to note. It's in news stories everywhere. She likes sex with women. Isn't that great? Oh, you didn't ask what her sexual proclivities are? You didn't ask what her lifestyle is? You didn't ask whether or not she likes to sleep with men or women? Well, too bad. You were told anyway, weren't you? Because it's historic. Because it's a great thing for the United States to have somebody who likes to have sex with people who are just like them as opposed to the opposite sex and, and to put them in positions of public, uh, of, of, uh, uh, public um, authority. That's exactly what you need to know. At any rate, Propaganda Patty continues to express the view of the Biden administration and, quite frankly, of Biden himself what, by refusing to condemn, A, the leak and be the protesting outside 
of uh, uh, Supreme Court Justices Holmes. She literally is refusing to condemn that because Biden doesn't condemn it. He doesn't condemn the leak, and he does not condemn the protesting outside of these justices' homes in an attempt to intimidate. Uh, violence, threats, and, and intimidation have no place in political discourse. Yes, we are a country that promotes democracy, and we certainly allow for peaceful protest uh, in a range of places in the country. None of it should violate the law. No one is suggesting that. Uh, and it should never resort to violence, to threats, to intimidation in any way, shape, or form. Do you see what she's doing there? Do you see how she refuses to condemn the protesting specifically in places where it is against the law? The phrasing there is so incredibly important. And we certainly allow for peaceful protest uh, in a range of places in the country. None of it should violate the law. No one is suggesting that. No one is suggesting it should violate the law. You're correct, Propaganda Patty. But what you're also not suggesting is that those who are violating the law should stop it. You are simply saying we're not encouraging them to do it. We're not encouraging them to violate the law. But if they happen to violate the law, well, we've got no comment. Because they are violating the law. 1507, 18 U.S. Code, 1507. They are violating the law. They violated the law outside of Samuel Alito's home last night. They violated the law outside of Brett Kavanaugh's and John Roberts' homes over the weekend. They're violating the law, and all she can say is no one is suggesting they should violate the law. You might not be suggesting it, but you are giving tacit approval of it because you refuse to condemn it. And why? Because Brandon loves it. That's why. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. The numbers to join me live this morning. Don't forget, check out alwaysright.us. Click on the sound off page if you've got something you want to sound off about and you can't wait for me to take your call. Or maybe if you're listening during a different time of the day and we're not live where you are, listening on the podcast page at whkradio.com or alwayswrite.us. But sound off, record your message, send it my way. It's very easy to do. It's self-explanatory on alwayswrite.us. We'll play it. We'll respond to it right here on AM 1420 The Answer. So do I, John. So do I. That would be John Fogarty, by the way, not Johnny Hiles. 926 AM 1420, The Answer. So they make it very, very clear, they being the American left, on what laws they want to have followed and what laws they don't. The laws about intimidating, intimidating Supreme Court justices or judges, or witnesses, or jurors, or anybody else in that very, very clearly defined U.S. Code 1507, 18 uh, U.S. Code 1507. They make it very clear that you're not allowed to do that, but they want them to do that. Why? Because it's effective. Sonny Hostin, who is the left-wing racist, and, and not that they're not a whole bunch of racists on The View, but in particular, she is just not shy about her racism. She hates white people she despises anybody who agrees with white people including black people she's the one i played this for yesterday who called a black republican guest on that program uh, an oxymoron you're an oxymoron black republican is an oxymoron if you're black you must think the way i think and we think and we all have to have the same group think you can't have independent thoughts what's the matter with you she said the same thing about latino women 
because of Anna Navarro, who is a Republican, but is clearly a leftist. But you're a Republican, Latina. She's a Republican, African American. You are oxymoron. She she doesn't she doesn't hide her racism. I'll say that she simply hates white people, and she hates anybody who might sympathize with white causes as she sees them. So at any rate, it's with that backdrop that we let Sonny Holston advocate on ABC television on the View, advocate for the breaking of U.S. law because, well, it's it's really important to do so. I was, I was watching a lot of the protests that were happening outside of some of the justices' homes, and my understanding is that um, Justice Alito has had to go into hiding um, uh, because of this, um, you know. draft opinion that was leaked. And and while I think it is terrible that um, a justice would have to go into hiding, I think it is really clear to the justices now that, as Anna mentioned, 64 to 66 percent of Americans believe that the Supreme Court should uphold Roe v. Wade, right? And so that... First of all, just I want to just clarify, that is a complete and abject, easily disprovable lie. 66% 66% of Americans do not support Roe versus Wade, and they certainly do not support the left's goal of uh, abortions for anyone, anytime, any stage of gestation, for any reason. That is just an absolute disprovable lie. But let's continue. Being said, um, maybe these protests and maybe this outcry gives Chief Justice Roberts some leverage for a more moderate mm-hmm. approach. Uh, because we saw during the hearing that he was looking for a way, a moderate way, um, to handle this, this, uh, this, this case. So she was- just justified, she just justified the breaking of U.S. law by going to the Supreme Court justices' homes and, quote, making it really clear to them what they want, because by doing so, it might catch the attention of Chief Justice John Roberts and give him a reason to direct the court not to hold this vote or to change the vote. He's looking for a way out of this. He doesn't really want to do it. John Roberts, by the way, is pro-life, and so is his wife, and they're very, very open about that. But she literally is saying, as long as it gets us the desired outcome, the means are irrelevant. The end justifies the means. So if we've got to go breaking the law by going to Supreme Court justices' homes, it makes it really, really clear and gives them uh, an indication of you better change this. You better find your way out of it. This is what the American left is. They are just completely vile lawless cretins who have no interest whatsoever in the Constitution or the United States Code. As long as they get their political agenda met, that's what matters the most. All right, speaking of political agendas, there was a very, very important one in 2020. You recall it. The American left embraced it, and they made sure they were going to do something to achieve it. That agenda was to make sure that America's orange Hitler did not get reelected. And it didn't matter what depths to which they had to stoop to make it happen, they were going to do it. Well, they did it. So much of it is chronicled in 2,000 Mules. The new movie premiered uh, last week. It premiered virtually uh, on Saturday. I watched it last night. Dinesh D'Souza made the film. The research was done by True the Vote. Catherine Engelbrecht, president and founder of True the Vote, will join us to talk about it next on AM 1420, The Answer.
informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 937, we continue. Always Right Radio online at alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. Make sure you check that out. And as long as you're online, obviously you just want to go ahead and open up a new browser window and type in 2000mules.com. We talked about it in some depth last week with Dinesh D'Souza before the actual theatrical release uh, in limited uh, uh, availability. And then, of course, this past Saturday was the uh, virtual release. And if you did not watch it yet, I watched it last night in full. After interviewing Dinesh, after watching the trailers, after reading some of the uh, uh, some of the reports, uh, I, I just obviously had to see exactly what was going on. Eye popping and jaw dropping at the exact same time. The theft of the 2020 election chronicled almost in real time. That's what 2,000 Mules is. And joining us now to discuss this is one of the people responsible for 2,000 Mules. Now, Dinesh is the filmmaker, but true the vote. True the Vote did the research. They're the ones who collected all of the video and collected all of the forensic evidence by way of cell phone pinging and more to monitor thousands of mules participating in ballot fraud, ballot harvesting and ballot fraud in the key battleground states in the 2020 election, all with the goal of stopping or America's orange Hitler in the eyes of the left from being reelected. Catherine Engelbrecht is the founder of True the Vote, and she is the president of True the Vote. She was one of the driving forces of what became this movie, uh, opening the eyes, hopefully, of all Americans. She joins us now. Catherine, thanks for the time this morning. How are you? Absolutely. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. We've spoken before about True the Vote and some of the things that you've done uh, down there in Houston, Catherine. And I want to talk uh, in, you know, specifically about, obviously, 2,000 Mules. But can you remind everybody, how was True the, True the Vote uh, born? Sure. Uh, in 2010, uh, we recognized uh, that there were just not enough volunteers to go work at the polls and thought, you know, that's something we can do. And when a very small group of us went to go to work, we saw problems, uh, specifically related to the data in the poll books that that led to our, our very first research project and now you know flash forward 12 years and um, we understand uh, we understand the landscape a lot better than we did when we started and are more concerned than ever Catherine how big of an organization is true the vote how many people do you have volunteering or working with you to try to uh, shore up the integrity of American elections well, we have a very small uh, core team, but nationally, I, I think you know you're true to vote in your in your heart, <laughs> and and by that count, we've got you know hundreds of thousands of, of of concerned citizens that are out there trying to figure out what's going on in their local elections. But our goal has never been to to be a cottage industry or to you know become a a, a trademark. Uh, local affiliate organization. Rather, what we want is for people to recognize the power that they have in themselves and do what they can in their own local elections, because if we all do that, if we all take little steps, it all rolls up and things work out just fine. But we've, we've, we've abandoned the field for far too long, uh, never clearer than what we saw in 2020. And we hope that 20, uh, 2000 Mules is going to you know, move the needle a little bit and wake people up. 
Yeah, well, it, it certainly should. Um, it's it's remarkable. We're talking with Catherine, Catherine Engelbrecht, president and founder of True the Vote. The reason I asked about the size is I know it's very small, and, and almost the entire film focuses on you and the, the information presented by Dinesh through intelli- election intelligence expert Greg Phillips. And you don't have a massive... You know, uh, uh, resource here. You don't have this, this huge, uh, you know, cache of people and, 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 uh, and, and money to go out there and do the research. This just took an extraordinary amount of dedication from some very, very, uh, you know, understaffed individuals like yourselves and Mr. Phillips to put all of this together. Uh, and I just think it's, it's incredible the sacrifice that you guys are making for literally election integrity in this country. Tell our audience who may have not yet seen 2000 Mules about Greg Phillips. Sure. So, uh, Greg has been a, a longtime business partner of mine and a, a trusted ally, has a deep background in um, election intelligence from a number of years, uh, working in, in elections all over the world. And so, uh, he and I have been. Uh, working on projects together in this space for a handful of years now, six, seven years. And um, I knew that when we saw what was coming on the horizon line for 2020, we needed to uh, pre-position in anticipation of, uh, frankly, in, 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 in anticipation of exactly what happened. And so um, working together with Greg and his team of analysts, we decided to uh, – take a very big bite out of mm-hmm. what we thought was going to be a, a, a possible um, productive avenue towards understanding what happened in this election by looking for traceable um, paths that would leave evidence. And, and to all that, all that said, we looked at drop boxes and the abuse of those drop boxes um, as exhibited in um, cell phone uh, data and pat- travel patterns that suggests you know, excessive um, excessive abuse of of those unregulated drop boxes. So that's that's Greg and um, and his team. And uh, you know, it's just it's been it's been a nonstop whirlwind for the last you know what eighteen months. Just yeah. solid work yeah. to get to this point. Uh, it, it's remarkable, and that's why I just want to commend you and Greg and the very, very tiny team with which you're working here to try to change. Well, not try to change. You can't change the outcome now, but to try to expose exactly what happened so that perhaps we can hold people accountable and make sure that this kind of, of theft and this kind of fraud never happens again. So you mentioned the drop boxes. You mentioned the, you know, the ballot harvesting. Let's, I don't want to re- retell the whole movie. Dinesh and I covered a lot of that when we spoke last week. But Catherine, um, give us a thumbnail sketch of exactly what kind of numbers are presented here. I mean, obviously, 2,000 mules focuses on the roughly 2,000 that you guys were able to identify by way of your, your own, um, uh, I don't know how to phrase the numerical system, but you decided to limit the mules that you would monitor here for the purpose of figuring out exactly what they did and what their impact was to those who made a minimum of 10 drop box visits, and I believe it was at least five or it was eight visits to the the ballot centers, if you will. But there were so many more than that. You focus on 2,000, but by the end of the movie, we find out there could be as many as 50,000 mules that participated in the defrauding of the 2020 election. So can you give us your, give us your thumbnail sketch version of what that really means to people? Sure. Well, you're exactly right. We, we tried to narrow our focus to the most egregious of the um, abusers. And, and the way that that shows up in data is when you look at uh, travel patterns to these drop boxes, 
you see sort of a, a bell curve of, of, of what would you consider sort of, you know, in-range um, travel, uh, in-range what would be considered normal. And then you have this outlier group that is so extreme in, in its frequency of the drop boxes that, uh, that as that pattern began to um, emerge and then cross-referencing that, as you point out, with NGOs and the, and the travel pattern there, mm-hmm. we, we tried to set the bar very, very high and then only only look at the ones that made this very high uh, and self-limiting standard of excessive abuse. Um, and really, that's where you can take a step back and go, okay, if that is true at the most extreme end, then what does the data tell us as we begin to open it a little more fully and look at people that didn't go maybe 10 times, maybe they went nine or eight, right. or instead of going to a, uh, an, one of the NGOs five times, maybe they went four. And as you begin to uh, you know, juggle those numbers, uh, they, they grow um, exponentially. And I know that that number is, 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 a, is so big, it's overwhelming to think about, could there really have been that many people um, engaged in uh, the subversion of this process. But I'd encourage people to think about this as these are very small insurgencies that are occurring locally and in, and in uh, concentrated areas, but it happens nationwide, uh, more, more in certain places, less in others. But overall, uh, we created um, and allowed the creation, unfortunately, of a, of a process in 2020 that just begged for abuse, and it got it. It got it, and that's you know that's what we have to now you know come to grips with and stop it moving forward. We're talking with Catherine Engelbrecht. She is the founder and the president of True the Vote, which was the organization that collaborated with Dinesh D'Souza, the filmmaker, to bring Two Thousand Mules uh, to us. And it is the very very specific and. Uh, um, uh, clearly defined theft of the 2020 presidential election. Normally, if I was interviewing a director of a movie or even a movie critic, I wouldn't I wouldn't talk about spoiler alerts and talk about how what the outcome is. But we already know what the outcome was. Joe Biden is president <laughs> right now, so I guess I can ask this: When you get to the end, and obviously, as I said, I watched the last night. I know the answer to this, but were enough ballots? Uh, fraudulent ballots cast by these mules, the 2,000, and then quite honestly, when you go to the very end, as you point out, uh, you know, as many as 50,000 mules in these key battleground states, were enough fraudulent ballots cast and stuffed into those boxes to change the outcome in various states, the battleground states that decided the election? Based on everything we can measure, the numbers suggest that, yes, that in fact did happen. Now, the, the fact is, as you begin to peel back the layers, the way that our system works, those ballots are not going to be retrieved. Uh, there's not a way to tell which ballot the mules specifically cast because it gets put into the sea of ballots that are, you know, that are private once they're, once they're separated from their envelopes. And so, um, you know, I, I want to be very careful in the way I answer that question because the, our, our process itself uh, doesn't allow for the separation of those ballots as they were cast. That said, every shred of evidence that we have, and certainly the, the numbers as you, as you begin to even take the barest of extrapolation, suggest that there's no question that the outcome would have been altered. No question. Um, 
we're looking for some satisfaction, Catherine, after watching this movie and after seeing the theft and the assault on our tree. You know, what's funny is the left is always out there talking about this attack on democracy, an attack on democracy. The January 6th insurrection was an attack on democracy. All of these different things. They don't really seem to give a rip about democracy when it comes to literally the democratic process of casting our votes. They don't care at all about our democracy. That is what really has been assaulted here, isn't it, Catherine? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And look, it's been under assault for years. We've just allowed it. And, and you know, the, the uh, corporate media that tells us that photo voter identification is racist and that, you know, having a month-long voting period is somehow the only way to avoid vote suppression and all these things that are just empirically not true, as evidenced by the way most every other country in the world conducts their votes. We have a uniquely unstable process, and it's by design. It's time to wake up, open our eyes, and engage, because this can be reeled back, but it will only happen if Americans retake this process and and bring it back to a level of common sense that we can at least recognize as having a modicum of security. See, now now you're, you're anticipating my question, and I'm glad you did, because I was starting to say before that we see something as egregious as this, and we're outraged, and we're angered, and we're looking for some sort of satisfaction. And the only satisfaction that can come from watching this movie and seeing what was done to steal the election from the people is to see those responsible put in prison. And then the second thing would be to know that it's never going to happen again. So what does that look like, what you just said, unless the people rise up and take this back? What does that look like? How can people who see this watch it uh, and know that it was, it was, you know, that wrong was done here, that democracy was attacked, that the course of history has been altered by the changing of a U.S. president and totally different policies? Look at the outcomes that we are seeing right now. The course of history was changed by this fraudulent election. So what does it look like for the people to, as you say, rise up and take it back? Well, to your point about justice being served on those who perpetrated this, um, we have ongoing investigations in the states that we have have studied um, and and are continuing now to see law enforcement reach out. And it's been... (laughs) It's been a lonely walk for a long time where a lot of, a lot of the, the agencies and, and law enforcement uh, locally weren't, they just, they weren't in the spot to really understand the fullness. I think the movie went a long way in, in um, explaining uh, just how impactful the data that we have can be towards the ends of an investigation. So we're hopeful that they will continue on to seek this out and to seek it out at the highest level. Um, you know, it, it's it's one thing to uh, out, you know, the mules, the low-level mules, but the low-level mules can be replaced. What you right. need to do is study where the money came from and take those people out so it will stop it. And that's that's what we're pushing for. And that's not going to be fast. And it's 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 a it's a difficult process because it's it's being done inside of our elections, which are. Again, inherently, the, the, the way that the, the laws around our elections are drawn, it is, it is a very difficult thing to prove by design. So we're, it's going to be tough, but that is moving forward, and, and we are pressing with everything we have to keep it moving forward. Um, the next stage, though, is, is, the, is the awakening of Americans who, who understand now that it is, it is true, our elections are on the ropes. 
what can we do without just watching it continue to crumble? What can we do? And, and the single most important thing that every American voter can do, number one is vote. Number two is make sure that you're talking about to your friends and your family the importance of engaging. And, and then you yourself, call your local, your, your, your local party, a candidate, call your county, and, and begin to inquire about how you can serve just being a part of the process. And I will forewarn you, this will not be easy because our system is not um, accustomed to having full participation. And, and so none of this is going to be, you know, smooth. Uh, these, these are, we are going to be recreating and forging a path in real time here as America says no more and begins to realize all the things that need to be shorn up. And there are many. This will not be easy and it will not be fast, but it is the only way forward lest we, we watch it crumble and, and the repercussions of that um, lead nowhere good. The only well, way then after, after an election is, is an election process is so totally dismantled that it's, it's good for nothing. And we're close. Don't get me wrong. We're close, but it is salvageable. But once you pass that, you know, that rubric, once you cross that Rubicon, going back is uh, all but impossible. So we can't let it happen. We've got to engage now. Well, Catherine, I think it's been said many times that nothing worth having is ever easy. Uh, and you're right, this won't be easy. But if there's ever been anything that should dedicate ourselves to uh, to, to getting done anyway, to pushing past what needs to be done, this is it. To, to close here, Dinesh said... Without free and fair elections, we are not a democracy. We're a nation run by a criminal cartel masquerading as a democracy. We see that criminal cartel in action in this movie. And the first step toward this very uneasy process of fixing it is identifying how deep the problem is. And that's something that this movie does. So I'll encourage people, again, to keep going to uh, 2000mules.com. Is there any other way that you want people to know that they can learn more about this and watch this film? Or is it just everything is at 2000mules.com, Catherine? Uh, no, definitely go to uh, truthevote.org. And we have information on the movie, but also information on how you can be involved and sign up. Because... Uh, The movie is the beginning. The movie is the beginning, but we will be communicating via email primarily um, on a variety of things moving forward. This is not the only story that we have to release, and um, things are going to get pretty intense here for the next few months. So please sign up and stay involved. We've been deplatformed on almost all media, so um, please sign up and stay involved. So glad you pointed that out. Thank you for that reminder. TrueTheVote.org. Catherine Engelbrecht is the founder and the president of True the Vote. Thank you for the work you did here. Thank you for shining a spotlight on this. So again, we can't fix anything that we don't know is broken or how badly it's broken. And this movie shows us exactly that. Thank you for everything you're doing, Catherine. Absolutely. Thank you. Catherine Engelbrecht joining us on AM 1420, The Answer, the founder of True the Vote. Go to truthevote.org, sign up, like she said, become a volunteer, become a supporter, whatever you can do, and then also make sure you watch this movie. You may already know the outcome, as I said to her, but how did it happen and how and why it was allowed to happen? That's another story altogether. Check it out at 2000mules.com, 2000mules.com. Right back. Oh, yeah. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. 
We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It is a Tuesday, the 10th morning of the 5th month of the year of our Lord, uh, 2022. Don't forget to check it out on alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. Top stories of the day. We'll cover those in just a bit. But right now, as it is a Tuesday and it is 10 o'clock, it is time to bring in our good friend Peter Kersenow, as we do each and every week. Peter is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is also uh, a Cleveland attorney, a best-selling author, a columnist, and a radio host as well. And he does the Kersenow Report right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning, my friend. How are you? You know, um, I'm uh, kind of curious. That is, I think if the Indians slash Guardians hope to get people like me interested again, they need more performances like Josh Naylor had yesterday, which I didn't see and didn't learn about until I heard the news this morning. Um Pretty astonishing, but they're going to have to do that a lot more before I get my interest back to the level it was, say, in 1995. Yeah, um, I don't know what they're going to be able to do to get me back. I I have still not forgiven Major League Baseball from for stealing the All Star Game from the city of Atlanta uh, and putting it in Denver, Colorado, uh, over lies, over lies about. Uh, about um, uh, disenfranchisement of voters and so on and so forth, all of the wokeness that, stu- that took baseball from a predominantly black city that brought a hundred million, uh, I think it was a hundred million dollars uh, in economic development. Yeah, more than predominantly, that. Yeah, from a predominantly black city and then gave it to Denver, a predominantly white city, all in the name of, of racial equity. And voter enfranchisement and so forth. So, Pete, I, I I will never forgive them for that, and uh, I have no interest in what they do anymore. I'm just I'm I cannot believe I used to do sports radio for a living, and now I don't even want to look at it. Yeah, I tell you, it's really I they I don't know what they they're thinking. Uh, whether the the younger uh, viewers or something would be more interested in this, because I tell you, I was a pretty nothing was better for me than a, a warm summer evening where I'd listen to the radio. That's my favorite way of. Um, getting a baseball game is listening to the radio and back in the days of uh, herb score and tom hamilton it was great because yeah. herb score was phenomenal it's a long fly ball and the second baseman catches it you know one of those <laughs> kind of things <laughs> but nonetheless I agree. yeah i would i would i would listen almost religiously and i'd watch a number of games and then that fell off dramatically when they went and embraced the blm stuff and it, it just then when they changed the name, I, I'll have to say, it's going to take me a long time, if ever, to get back even close to the level I was before. I'm not encouraging anybody to boycott the so-called guardians or whatever you want to call them. I'm not doing that. It's just my personal uh, feeling toward it, because as a lifelong Indians fan, I mean, I grew up in the sandlots of Cleveland wearing a Chief Wahoo cap while we played in the sandlots playing baseball. Great experiences. The Indians back then were really good for a period of time, and then, of course, they became dismal for about a 30-year stretch. But uh, really disappointing. And But you know what? Every once in a while, there's a performance like Josh Naylor's, and it caught my attention yesterday. I hope they do that about 45 more times, and maybe I'll peek at a game. 
Well, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, Pete, I, I think God, you, you know, we've, we, we all often say things like God works in mysterious ways. You don't know what his plans are and so on and so forth. But I thank God that I have been here on WHK now for the last eight years, because prior to that, I was on another station in which you heard those calls and I hosted the post game shows. And if I was still there, I would have to po- host these post-game shows. And I would have to host the pre- and post-game shows of the professional basketball team that's in town, too, which I refuse to acknowledge, and I refuse to watch, and I refuse to touch for all of the, the same reasons. It's almost as if God said, yeah, you don't want to be around when that all happens, when wokeness happens and racism happens and all of the things that have been going on in, in professional sports these last few years. You don't want to be forced into that. You're going to put you in a place where you can focus on things that are more important to me. At least that's how I feel God spoke to me and said, this is, this is, uh, this is where you're supposed to be. And for the last eight years, I, I completely concur, and especially as I think of what I would, would be trying to say if I was on a station now that carried those games, I would be in a very, very bad situation. So yeah. we'll leave that there. Now, uh, Peter Kirstenau, I want to read uh, the, the, the actual law, 18 U.S. Code 1507, picketing or parading whoever with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice, or with the intent of influencing any judge juror, witness, or court officer in the discharge of his duty, pickets or parades in or near a building housing a court of the United States or in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, juror, witness, or court officer, or with such intent uses any sound truck or similar device or resorts to any other demonstration in or near any such building or residence shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than one year or both. Nothing in this section shall interfere with or prevent the exercise by any court of the United States of its power to punish for contempt. Peter Kersenow, how, why is the Department of Justice absolutely eerily silent on the breaking of that law and the attempted intimidation of Samuel Alito, of Brett Kavanaugh, of John Roberts? And I would imagine as soon as they figure out where Gorsuch and, and Coney Barrett are, they're next. Clarence Thomas, too. Um, why is the Justice Department doing nothing? Why is the President of the United States not calling for an end to this harassment and this intimidation of Supreme Court justices in their homes? Uh, Bob, you didn't read the entire section. Uh, Romanet 1 to that says, this section shall only apply to conservatives, Republicans, and normal people. <laughs> I missed that part. So, yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, a lot of people miss that, but, uh, it, you know, during... Most of the last 40 years, that's been the case. The media doesn't care. The Justice Department doesn't care. The Inside the Beltway folks don't care. So it's not going to be enforced. Now, look at what's happening with the individuals who were strolling through the Capitol on January 6th. Now, some of those individuals engaged in vandalism. Some of those individuals damaged things. And those people, you know, should be prosecuted, but not necessarily kept in prison for a year and a half before they even have a right to a trial. I mean, this stuff is absurdity. This is, this is, we all know what's going on here. In the United States of America in 2022, we have a politicized Justice Department. We have politicized law enforcement. It's an abomination. A republic cannot stand when it has even the perception of unequal enforcement of the law. And that's what we have here right now. Throughout the country, what we saw after the leak which in and of itself is a criminal offense. Um, 
Throughout the country, we've seen vandalism against pro-life institutions, uh, against churches, uh, individuals' homes. It's truly extraordinary. And what you have, the response that at least has been publicly available, that is through media, has been um, to kind of shrug shoulders. Law enforcement has been pretty much... Uh, uninterested, and they're, I believe, getting their marching orders from the politicized um, or, or the, 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 the politicians in their respective jurisdictions. Uh, really something to, to watch. So you saw Antifa, for example, a couple of years ago engage in 30 mil, or strike that, in, in uh, several billion dollars worth of damage, fires, you know, all kinds of vandalism, people getting beaten up and killed, uh, but no big deal. They get bailed out by the likes of Kamala Harris, actually bailed out by the likes of Kamala Harris. And how many of those individuals were even charged? And if they were charged, how many of those people were ever prosecuted? No, they were released. But if you stroll into the Capitol building at the invitation, no less, of the Capitol Hill police, you stay in prison for about a year and a half before you even get a right to a trial, if that so a uh, republic cannot stand when it has unequal enforcement of law. It was, it was bad when you had unfo- unequal enforcement of law when it came to race. It is equally bad when it comes to politics. And people don't trust our institutions anymore for this very reason. The same Justice Department that less than it was six months ago, or maybe it was seven months ago, I know I was on Fox talking about it, sicked the FBI on parents attending school board meetings, yep. refuses to anything about the bombing of uh, pro-health, pro-life clinics or the intimidation of ju- Supreme Court justices. It, it's truly an amazing thing to watch. And again, this is banana republic time. The media is complicit. The media is either silent so that the masses of people are, are unaware of it. If you talk to some of your more liberal friends, many of them aren't even aware this is going on because the MSNBC, CNNs of the world aren't, aren't covering it, or to the extent they are covering it, are doing so in a wildly distorted fashion. I watch some of these for a, a moment of time when I can tolerate it just so you guys don't have to, and what I see is appalling. It truly is. And they focus on other things to deflect. They'll, they'll be you know, riveted to the latest thing in Ukraine, not to say that doesn't merit some attention, but they're riveted to things that forward their narrative and completely smother those things that are against their narrative. Unfortunately, that means they've got to smother most of the news. Well, that's exactly correct. Um, you know, I'm so glad you pointed that part out, too. I actually read a clip about that um, earlier this morning, uh, about the fact that Garland sicked the FBI on those parents. Again, and this, of course, is all orchestrated by the Biden administration. You know, they tried to make it look like the National uh, uh, School Boards Association made this complaint. Well, they solicited that complaint from right. the School Boards Association so they would have a, a justification to turn the FBI loose and try to silence these parents. But when it comes to what is happening here, and, and you know, Pete, the worst part about it, well, there's a lot of terrible elements to this, but one of the worst parts about it is, um, Jen Psaki, the outgoing, soon-to-be ex, uh, 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 why am I blanking, uh, press secretary, she was asked directly by a reporter, does the president plan to condemn the leak? It has been a week now, and he has not yet condemned the actual leak of the draft opinion from the, the uh, justices, from, from Sam Alito. And her response is to continue to evade the question. He has not yet said, this is a terrible thing that should not happen. I want a full investigation. I want the leaker caught. I want to make sure this never happens again, much less actually saying that these protesters need to go home, as I asked you a moment ago. 
and they need to at least go away from the uh, the parents or the uh, houses of the justices because you are violating federal law there. So he has not condemned the leak. All in fact, let me play this for you. This part of it anyway, uh, just so that we can be on the same page. Uh, violence, here. threats, and and intimidation have no place in political discourse. Yes, we are a country that promotes democracy, and we certainly allow for peaceful protest uh, in a range of places in the country. None of it should violate the law. No one is suggesting that. None of it should violate the law. No one is suggesting that they should violate the law. But, Peter, isn't it different to say no one is suggesting they should violate the law by protesting at the justices' houses? Isn't that different than saying we are telling people do not, specifically in other words, passive, in a passive sense, we're not suggesting they should do that, but they are not actively telling them not to do that. And and this is the thing that they did, you know, I want to go back to January 6th. I hate going back to January 6th, but they said Trump didn't do enough to tell them to leave and tell them right. to go away from the, from the Capitol building. Well, here's Biden telling them, you know, nothing, essentially f- playing by the same playbook and watching it all uh, kind of happen and wondering how it's all going to end. Yeah, if it weren't for double standards, we'd have no standards at all. There's a concept in the law, to pick up on what you were just suggesting there, known as silence is acceptance. That is where you would ordinarily expect someone to speak. The circumstances are such where an ordinary person would probably speak out if they're in that a particular position in a particular, particular station, and they remain silent. That is acceptance. So when a Joe Biden doesn't affirmatively say something related to the violence and, and other acts that are being taken, that's acceptance. And we, I, I think we all know the program because we've seen this multiple times on multiple occasions with the media and our politicians, and that is that they have a different standard when it comes to violence on, on the part of the left. We saw that with BLM and Antifa. We see it with these uh, despicable attacks on various pro-life organizations and churches and other individuals. And the president is silent. Remember what the left said about uh, Trump in Charlottesville. They lied about what he said. They lied about what he said, and they continued to do so several years after the fact. Trump did speak out. Here, what we have is a press secretary with knowledge of the circumstances, plenty of time to formulate a response, and they are pretty much saying with a wink and a nod, go ahead and do what you want to do, because they don't want to upset their base. The bad news for Jen Psaki, Joe Biden, and the rest of the left is they thought the leak and all of the Sturm and Drang surrounding it was going to energize their base and result in a, you know, a, a several point swing in the upcoming elections because they are buried when it comes to the midterms. They are in very, very bad shape. But the most recent polling data, when you look at it, shows that the opposite has occurred. And most people are concerned about the issues that you and I have been talking about for several months now, and most Americans are clearly most interested in. But when you look at the issue of abortion since the leak and since some of these demonstrations, when voters are asked to list their top issues, and maybe you've already spoken to this, Bob, but the, the poll that I saw early this morning showed that, of course, the economy, inflation, gas prices, etc., remains the top issue. At 33%, it's the top issue of a number of issues listed, immigration, Ukraine, all kinds of other things. And abortion is at 0.5%. In other words, the economy is 66 times more important than any issues related to abortion. So it hasn't had the rally effect that the Democrats were hoping for. In addition to that, the Republicans' margin now in the latest poll 
has increased the generic polling data. You and I have talked about this and what significant effect it has in terms of its predictive qualities for the midterm elections. The Democrats are now underwater by seven points, four points more. This is the key. Four points more than it was before the decision in Dobbs was leaked. So they're losing on that issue. Or if they're not losing, they haven't gained any ground, that's for sure. Uh, the top issues are still, you know, the, the Democrats are not trusted on the economy, on immigration, on foreign policy, on virtually anything. And it's just a, surprising to me that even the numbers that they're getting, 31 and 34 percent with respect to those types of issues, who's giving them credit for these things? Who says well, these, these guys are doing a really great job on the gas prices. I've really been glad that Joe Biden shut down the Excel pipeline and stopped fracking. <laughs> who are these people? Well, we know who they are. They're the folks who are buried in left-wing media. Uh, Peter Kersenow is our guest on AM 1420, The Answer. We're going to take our time out now, Pete. And uh, on the other side, we're going to be talking about your latest uh, testimony, um, uh, or excuse me, not testimony, uh, not testimony. I'll let you tell the story specifically about your brief before the Supreme Court that was filed yesterday in the Harvard race discrimination case, the issue of racial preference in admissions policies. This is a very, very big deal. People may or may not understand the depth of that, but I want you to explain it to them as we continue after this on AM 1420 BS. Okay, it's 1028. It's not enough time here to get into the Harvard story that Peter uh, presented uh, 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 arguments to the Supreme Court over yesterday. Uh, so, Pete, for these last two minutes, I'm just going to ask you, do you know anything about the sexual proclivities of Ari Fleischer, Scott McClellan, <laughs> Tony Snow, Dana Perino, Robert Gibbs, Jay Carney, Josh Ernest, Sean Spicer, well, you Sarah got them all Sanders, there, Stephanie Grisham, Kaylee McEnany, <laughs> or Jen Psaki. I, do you know anything about who they like to sleep with? I've, I've done a deep dive on this stuff, and I've still come up empty. But uh, we all know about uh, the sexual proclivities also because it's been trumpeted, heralded, because now we must know such things about our press secretary, apparently. What I'm more interested in, though, Bob, is the fact that the person who is currently the White House press secretary has been one of the greatest proponents of, quote-unquote, disinformation over the last seven, eight years, and is probably going to get a gig just like Jen Psaki did at MSNBC. I mean, they just should, clear, they should just come clear and say, look, we are merely MSNBC or CNN commentary, commentators in waiting. They've got a check waiting for us at the end of the day when we're done with this gig, and we're going to continue to spout left-wing talking points because that's what our prospective employers expect of us. Yeah, that is exactly what they do. And uh, you know, I wonder if uh, the queen of misinformation, otherwise known as uh, uh, Peppermint Patty, otherwise known as Propaganda Patty, otherwise known as or also known as um, uh, Madam Circleback, I wonder if she's ever going to be fact-checked for her disinformation by Nina Jankowitz, the head of the Disinformation Governance Board. I wonder, wonder if that's I mean, ever going to happen. Yeah, we're really in the twilight zone, Bob. This stuff is the... <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's lunacy. It's lunacy on steroids. But the media is the gatekeeper. We're not being fooled anymore. I mean, they've so blown their cover for a long time. We've always known for 40 years, 50 years, that the media leans left. It's gotten more to the left. It's like the Leaning Tower of Pizza fell over. Pizza. Did I say pizza? <laughs> Yes, you did. <laughs> hey, we've That's all probably done it at one point or too. another. 
It's not exactly. on my radar. But, but nonetheless, uh, it's just plain what's going on here. It's, but that doesn't make it right. I think more voters, more people watching, it's so plain that we understand it, and we're completely dismissing them. If you look at the polling data, for example, major institutions, but one of them is the media, they're losing any credibility whatsoever. No one believes them because they've been lying and lying on steroids. Yeah, and uh, speaking of which, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who, by the way, is gay. Did anybody mention she's gay? It's important, apparently, that you know that she's gay, and she's the first openly gay black press secretary ever, so now you know her sexual proclivities. Uh, she is also a bald-faced liar. She is a perpetrator of the lie that Brian Kemp stole the election from Stacey Abrams in Georgia, and she is on record as having said so. So that is who is the incoming uh, uh, press secretary for President Brandon. Kirsten, now back with us to talk Harvard after this, AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. AM 1420, The Answer, Always Right Radio at alwaysright.us. 10.38 now. Uh, This is hour number two, just a reminder of six for me. I will be doing the Dennis Prager Show from noon to three. You can hear that first hour, if you wish, on DennisPrager.com or on the Salem News Channel. Uh, You, of course, will have Charlie Kirk here on AM 1420, The Answer, for that first hour, and then uh, Prager for the last two. So I will be in for Dennis this afternoon if you're interested in listening to a little bit more about what I have to say and interacting with me and the national audience. Peter Kirsten now continues with us. Hey, Pete, before we talk Harvard and the brief you filed yesterday with the Supreme Court, I want to, uh, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, have you seen 2,000 Mules? No, I've not seen it yet. I've read about it, but I've not seen it. Okay. 2,000 Mules, If uh, for those who don't know, and I interviewed Dinesh D'Souza last week. I interviewed Catherine Engelbrecht from True the Vote. They're the two principal parties in all of this because they work together to present full uh, and clear evidence of voter fraud uh, and ballot harvesting and ballot box stuffing to the nth degree uh, in this hour-and-a-half-long film. It is, it is simply impossible to disprove. It is all there on video evidence, uh, forensic evidence. It's... it's, it's um, it, it, it's it's reality. The election was stolen. But, Pete, the reason I bring it up is since when did conservatives run and hide from the truth uh, the way they are now? Um, Dinesh posted on Truth Social, that's the social media that I'm on as well, uh, yesterday that Fox News would not allow Catherine Engelbrecht, who is the president and founder of True the Vote, who made this movie with him, to mention the movie when she went on with Tucker Carlson. Then... He just tweeted, uh, or excuse me, posted as well, by the way, Newsmax is also blocking coverage of 2,000 Mules. He said, I was booked on Grant Stinchfield's Newsmax show, and then the network canceled on me. Criticize the movie if you like, but why isn't this a legitimate news story? How can so-called news networks pretend it doesn't exist? So, Pete, you don't have to have seen the movie to have an opinion on this. This is an extraordinary video uh, or excuse me, extraordinary uh, movie filled with video evidence and forensic evidence and cell phone pinging following mules from Dropbox to Dropbox to Dropbox, stuffing just scores of ballots in the key battleground states that decided this past election. How are conservative outlets like Fox News and Newsmax pretending it doesn't exist, trying to tell them you can't talk about this? Yeah, I think, you know, what's happened since 
the 2020 election is, and it actually predates it, the mainstream media and all of our institutions have been relatively successful in browbeating almost anybody who questions the 2020 election into silence and obeisance. You're not supposed to say a word about potential fraud or whether or not you have any questions as to the legitimacy of the outcome or whether or not, not aside from the outcome, whether or not all the systems, all of the things that are, are in place were operating and functioning the way they were supposed to. And, you know, if you do so, you're... It, you know, a, a spreader of disinformation, you're a conspiracy theorist, and they, they have done so extremely effectively. Twitter, Facebook, and all the others before Elon Musk got Twitter, they would ban you from it. And I think it's had a domino effect that has affected large institutions also. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate. This is uh, Soviet, frankly, where we have, we have a thought police in effect, where a lot of people, and we see it in every sphere of life in colleges and universities in businesses people keep their heads down don't say certain things for fear of some kind of retribution and the, the things they can't say are growing every single day so this is a virus this is a cancer that's spreading it's got to be stopped this the republic cannot survive if we can't present dissenting viewpoints and frankly present the facts well, that is exactly right. And, and you know, again, the, what we're talking about here, people can infer what they wish. Um, they can decide, uh, my eyes aren't deceiving me, and these are facts because I can see the ballot stuffing on video. Or they can say, no, that's not really what my eyes, they want to not believe their lying eyes, fine. But to just really? say, no, you can't talk about it, you can't present it, you can't, you can't, you know, discuss the existence of these things, that is just unforgivable, particularly. Right, and... In, uh, in conservative media, where everybody knows that there is such a small number of conservative media outlets, Fox News, Newsmax, One America News, and then conservative talk radio, and that's it, against the monolithic tech industry, which is all leftist, and of course, you know, legacy media. Um, there are very few outlets where conservative, conservatives can go to find out these truths, and now even they are censoring, um, you know, this, this information presented, again, via video evidence. When I said that I didn't see it, I did, I did see portions of it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you'd like to see everything in context. All I know is this. There are myriad questions about the 2020 election. I mean, so many out there that anybody with a brain would say that, at bare minimum, merits further exploration. But if you raise these issues, you're painted as conspiracy theorists, like some kind of kook or nut. This from the same people who for four years ran on the front pages in the top of every broadcast with Russia, 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 every iota of which was shown to be a complete fabrication promoted by the Clinton campaign and the media by I repeat myself, and yet they continue to go along, they, they, nobody apologizes for it. They haven't returned their Pulitzer Prizes. A four-year fraud on the biggest political scandal in American history, and mums the word. Yeah, it's it's simply uh, it's simply incomprehensible. So is the decision by the uh, Harvard Board of Admissions or their Board of Trustees or whomever makes these decisions to 
choose race or to use race rather uh, as a determining factor as to who gets to come into uh, the uh, the hallowed grounds of Harvard. So, Pete, you have been on this. You and the Civil Rights Commission have written about this, and I guess you uh, filed a brief before the Supreme Court about this. What's the latest? Yeah, well, for your listeners, um, Harvard discriminates on the basis of race, as does almost every major academic institution in the country, and it was permitted to do so uh, by two decisions of the Supreme Court, unfortunate decisions, back in 2003, the Grutter and Gratz versus Bollinger decisions, the Michigan decisions, which said, in essence, and I'll make it very brief for your listeners, and I don't want to bore you or get too technical, but what they said was that you could discriminate on the basis of race, they call it racial preferences, in admissions, if, for example, you can demonstrate that certain educational benefits would derive from having a diverse student body. Now, that by itself requires about 20 minutes of explanation, but the essence is, if Michigan, for example, or Harvard says, educational benefits are afforded by being present in an environment where there are, you know, a certain number of blacks or a certain number of Hispanics, where there's a critical mass, those are the words they used, a critical mass of certain minorities. Who knows what that critical mass is when people start learning automatically, their IQs automatically go up. But nonetheless, that was the justification for engaging in racial discrimination, because a Reportedly, educational benefits derive therefrom. Here's the problem. Since Grutter and Gratz, and this is what my brief says, and, and Gail Harriet, my, uh, my colleague on the Civil Rights Commission, there is copious evidence that since Grutter and Gratz, virtually every institution is discriminating and discriminating profoundly on the basis of race without adducing any evidence whatsoever of educational benefits deriving from that, deriving from having a diverse student body. You, you would hope that that would be the case, but there's no evidence of it. In fact, just the opposite is true. And one of the reasons why that's the case is, let's accept the premise that the Supreme Court or the, the advocates in the Grutter case said, well, if we have a diverse student body, people will learn all kinds of different cultures, and they'll learn from other people who have different backgrounds. Oh, that's very nice in Kumbaya, and you know, let's accept that as a premise. Well, that falls apart if once getting on campus, all these diverse students start resegregating themselves so there's no interaction among the races, so you couldn't learn from people from different backgrounds. And that's precisely what's happening on campuses across the country. You have separate dorms, you have separate classes. Uh, Every day, Bob, I write letters telling universities that are engaged in overt racial discrimination, giving uh, I won't name the university yet because I'm, I'm still dealing with them. There's one major university that extends scholarships exclusively to black students. Jeez. That's clearly a violation without question. No ifs, ands, or buts, buts of Title VI and of the 64 Civil Rights Act. No doubt about it. It's clear and unequivocal. But that kind of thing happens, as I said. I write letters on a daily basis saying cease and desist, or we file complaints with the Office of Civil Rights of the Department of Education. But if you have segregated dorms, segregated classes, segregated living environments, people kind of cluster among themselves in racial groups, you're not going to be getting any kind of interchange that would purportedly, if you believe the underlying rationale group, result in certain educational benefits because of a diverse student body. And uh, put that aside for a moment. 
I don't think we want to be in a country where, at least we thought we didn't, back when George Wallace was doing it, standing at the schoolhouse door, where we start to discriminate on the basis of race in any kind of environment, let alone an educational environment, where that kind of discrimination is legitimized and then carries on into your adulthood. Um, you look at almost every institution, as I indicated, and they do discriminate on the basis of race, and fairly profoundly at Harvard in the admissions uh, category, and this is what Harvard's all about. We talked a little bit about this, but um, and Harvard's different than some other schools because Harvard has the the ability, because of its hallowed status, uh, to be pretty selective as to who it brings in. So we can take the cream of the crop, regardless of what race they belong to. Nonetheless, if you are an Asian student, you are ten times less likely to be admitted. Ten times—that's what their data, Harvard's own data show. Ten times less likely to be admitted than a similarly situated black or Hispanic comparative. And that's at a bare minimum. Some schools that we've looked at, and I've got data on a number of them, at some schools, you are up to 700 times less likely to be admitted if you are white or Asian than your similarly situated black or Hispanic comparative. I mean, that's just overt discrimination. Then what happens also, which is clearly the case, and it's happening dramatically, what you might expect is if a student gets into, say, a Harvard or any school where their qualifications are that much lower than their comparatives who are white and Asian, they're not going to be faring that well in class, and they don't. The dropout rates, the, the, the uh, grade point averages, they're abysmal in the main, not all, but in the main compared to white and Asian students at these universities. They're not getting educations. Um, and I'll, I'll give you one example that is very dramatic. We had a hearing years ago at the Civil Rights Commission. I remember there was one female student who had written a letter to, and I think it was the University of Colorado, but I, I, I don't want to be uh, mistaken about this. But she had written a letter to the University of Colorado, not considered at the same level as a Harvard and Yale, but nonetheless, you know, it's, it's a university and you expect to be pretty smart to get in. The letter that she wrote to the dean chastised him for admitting her uh, she was a black student because she had to do withdraw after her first year because of low grades she said she spent time resources and a and a lost year at that institution laboring under the belief that she was qualified to compete at that school otherwise they wouldn't have admitted her right they wouldn't admit her if she's not qualified yet when she got there she found out that she was so far behind her white comparatives that she couldn't compete she dropped out and again she says i lost tuition i lost x number of dollars and all kinds of other things but i lost a year of my life and frankly my self-esteem but this is going on across the board no one wants to admit it but everyone who goes to school sees this being replicated but more importantly it is wrong. It's against the law, and it's being perpetuated more and more often. All of your listeners have seen, especially since George Floyd, little things. You've seen little things that promote discrimination and segregation. We've got Ibram Kendi and Beverly D'Angelo talking about how to be an anti-racist, which means you've got to be a racist in order to be anti-racist, white fragility, all this kind of stuff. We see all of these commercials where all of a sudden, apparently the United States has become about 70% black, and to the extent it's 30% white, they're in biracial relationships. Nothing wrong with that, but my goodness, let's be serious about this. That's the least of our concerns. But there's over-discrimination going on in college campuses. The Harvard case is a test case, not a test case, it will be a seminal case on whether or not Grutter and Grotz 
which the primary author of that decision, Sandra Day O'Connor herself said, should be done. In other words, the racial preference regime that was given its imprimatur by the Supreme Court in 2003 would be over, she said, in 25 years. She expected it to be over in 25 years. There's only six more years left. Do you think they're going to adhere to that? Not uh, if the Supreme Court doesn't do the right thing in the Harvard case. By the way, just a pretty amazing uh, self-reflection of that student. What was it? it was it Col- University of Colorado at Boulder? Did I hear it right? I think it was, Bob. This was about 15 years ago. I'd have to go back. My memory's not the best, but it was That's a Colorado right. school. And what a remarkable, what a remarkable yeah. statement, though, you know, and an acknowledgement that I didn't deserve to be here and this is wrong and how that can't be used or how that won't be used by people as an example. Because you've talked about that on this show, Pete, for years now. You've talked about how not only is it unfair to Asian students who might be the dominant number of people on campus at Harvard and some other places, not as only is it not fair to white students for all the obvious reasons you've pointed out. It's not fair to the black students or the students of color who are given preferential treatment in a place they cannot handle. Even if they do graduate, they're going to be at the bottom of their classes. They won't get the benefits of a Harvard degree in terms of future work prospects, professional prospects, if they're at the bottom of their classes. And more likely, they're going to drop out. And as that student said, cost them a year of their life and all kinds of anguish, uh, you know, before finding out where they really fit in and going on to, to have a successful uh, collegiate career, collegiate experience and professional career. You've talked about that forever. To hear someone speak it about themselves is pretty is pretty amazing. Yeah, it was pretty profound. Looking at stats is one thing. When you hear personal testimony about it, it's, a, it's another thing. I can give you personal yeah. stats. I mean, I can give you stats all over the place. California, for example, law schools, black students are five times more likely to flunk the bar exam, four times more likely to be in the bottom 10% of their classes, all these kinds of things are happening. And also what it does is, you know, in Gruder, they says one of the so-called benefits of having a diverse student body is that it, it eliminates or erases racial stereotypes. Frankly, it doesn't, because the problem now is, and no one will say this, I'll say it, and I'll get in trouble, but, you know, I get in trouble all the time. No one will say this, but here's the reality. Everyone thinks it. And that is when students are in a school where less prepared students black or Hispanic, doesn't matter who they are, but it enforces a stereotype that the black and Hispanic students can't compete. Well, they can't compete at that institution because they've gone to abysmal K-12 through schools, or they come from single-parent homes that can't compete, or all kinds of other factors, environmental factors, all kinds of factors. But nonetheless, regardless of the cause, it enforces the stereotype that these students can't perform well. That's not good for society, because when they matriculate, when they go elsewhere, that perception is going to remain ingrained. When you're seated next to a student who is flunking out, who is flailing about in class, and it happens repeatedly with other people who look like him, even the least racist person in the world starts to form inchoate stereotypes in their brain. We should acknowledge that because that's the basis of racism right there. We're enforcing this, and it's not true. That's exactly right. Assuming something about a, a person about a person because of their belonging to a particular group, whether it be racial or otherwise, that is the nature of racism and bigotry. Peter Kersenow, thank you so much, my friend. God bless. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bob. Take care. That's Peter Kersenow joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Great stuff from Kersenow, as always. If you missed any of that conversation, you, of course, can hear it in a little bit. It'll be posted on the podcast page at whkradio.com, which will be linked to alwaysright.us. Don't forget to go to alwaysright.us for all of the latest news uh, and conservative views as well. 
alwaysright.us. Uh, also, if you missed the interview earlier in the program in the last hour with uh, Catherine Engelbrecht of uh, True the Vote, um, listen to it. Listen to it and heed the message that she offers. I, and, and that Dinesh D'Souza offers. Of course, Catherine is the uh, president of True the Vote, which is the organization that put together all of the work. They collected over 4 million minutes of video evidence of uh, election fraud in 2020 in the key battleground states that decided the election in Georgia, in Arizona, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin. It is incredible. And as Dinesh said, without free and fair elections, we are not a democracy. We're a nation run by a criminal cartel masquerading as a democracy. We who believe in constitutional democracy must be, must be diligent. If we give up, they win. In fact, if enough of us give up, they won't even need to cheat anymore. It's true, and it's all factual, and it's all laid out in 2000 Mules. If you have not yet watched it, go to 2000mules.com. You can rent it. You can buy it, however you want to do it, but 2000mules.com. I watched that last night before I interviewed Catherine Engelbrecht today. I interviewed Dinesh last week, and I'm just telling you, the message there is extraordinarily important. The left likes to say that they're fighting to protect democracy. Democracy's under attack. Democracy, democracy, democracy. They literally, not figuratively, literally attack democracy insofar as they, 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 they defrauded the vote. They committed ballot fraud. That's literally attacking democracy because the act of voting to choose our leaders is democracy. They cheated that and then have the temerity to say democracy is under attack by the right. I mean, just the just the blindness, the the lack of self-awareness. It's staggering. It really is. All right, we're guest-free in the third hour of the broadcast, which is coming up. Don't forget, you've got four hours of me to go, though. I'll be hosting for Dennis Prager today from uh, noon until 3 on the Salem News Channel and at DennisPrager.com. So uh, you want to get in now? This is a great opportunity. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Right back on Always Right Radio. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now of Always Right Radio online at alwaysright.us. 
Us. It's a Tuesday, the 10th morning of the 5th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so much for being with us. What is going on right now at alwaysright.us? Trending now on alwaysright.us. Top stories of the morning. Let's go, Brandon. You did this. A new record, the highest recorded in American history. The national average for a, uh, a price for a, a gallon of gas, 437 Yesterday, 432. Last year at this time, 296. Two years ago at this time, in May of 2020, under Donald Trump, 188. Yes, Brandon, you did that. Other lead stories on alwaysright.us right now. Take a look at the DOJ. Merrick Garland, the AG, silent on the abortion protests at Justice's homes, despite federal laws prohibiting such protests. Mitch McConnell. Minority leader in the uh, Senate has ruled out abolishing the filibuster to pass a national abortion ban, said it will not happen on his watch. That's good news. I don't think it had much of a chance anyway, but it is good to hear it make a public statement and dig in his heels. A Breitbart story. Watch the pro-abortion leftists descend on Samuel Alito's home and watch the demonstration. It is mind-blowing. It is disgusting. It is reprehensible. And obviously, as covered before, it is illegal. But you need to see it to really understand it. A new law in Alabama criminalizes gender transition surgery and drugs for minors. Can't do it if you are underage. That's outstanding. We don't trust minors to make decisions that adults have to make in any other aspect of their lives. Why would we allow them to make decisions? They're going to forever change their lives. An MSNBC guest went on live television and declared she wants to make sweet love to the leaker of the SCOTUS draft opinion, the Supreme Court draft opinion on Roe versus Wade, and then to joyfully abort the baby that would result. These are the people that the left unites behind. A story on the Federalist about why today's left will admit abortion kills a child and still support killing the child anyway. Biden's new White House press secretary claimed President Trump stole the 2016 election. Also claimed that Brian Kemp stole the election from Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Aren't those the quote-unquote big lies? Disney quit, or excuse me, Disney is quiet on Sonny Hostin's disparaging remarks on black and Latino Republicans and Dinesh D'Souza responding to fact checks of 2,000 mules. All of those, the lead stories right now on alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. Check them out for yourself. All right, I like to give you kind of the lay of the, lay of the land there so that you can have an idea of what you want to say when you uh, call the program at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Also, uh, so that you can sound off on the sound off page on alwaysright.us. Click the red sound off button in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, click record, state your piece, uh, click send, and it'll come right to me, and we'll play it on the radio like this. In regards to the people trying to intimidate the Supreme Court judges and the law won't do anything about it, isn't it possible for us as American citizens to make a citizen's arrest and arrest these people? Thank you. Daniel in Kent sent that one on alwaysright.us. Um, I would say I certainly hope not. And what I mean by that is I do want them to be arrested. I want this to be stopped. I think lawlessness has to be, uh, has to be checked. But no, you don't want citizens doing it, because you know what that becomes? A riot. You know what that becomes? That becomes Charlottesville. That's exactly what happens. When you bring 
wild, radical, out-of-control leftists like Antifa and BLM members into a situation, and then there is a confrontation between them and others who are maybe less than peaceful, like the idiot far, uh, you know, the uh, neo-Nazis and uh, uh, the other unsavory characters, the white nationalists and so on and so forth uh, at Charlottesville. When you bring them together, you're going to have a war. You're going to have a battle. You're going to have casualties. No, I don't want anybody to try to have citizens arrest of these idiots. I want Merrick Garland to do his job. I want Merrick Garland to do that which uh, for which uh, he is paid. I want him to enforce the law. It is very, very clear. Pam Bondi, attorney, former Attorney General rather of Florida, understands it. Why is it that the current Attorney General of the United States of America doesn't understand it? This isn't that really that complicated. Are putting it? justices' lives in, in potential jeopardy here. Uh, aren't these the very same people that were upset that Donald Trump said many of you will peacefully, patriotically march to the White House so your voice will be heard? Yeah. Yeah, Sean, it is illegal what they're doing. And Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, should be out there arresting them. Here's why. 18 U.S.C. 1507. It is a crime to picket a judge's house with the intent to influence them. This opinion has not yet been released. They are attempting to influence them. Every person out there. And then you've got Sonny Houston, Holston. You know what she is? She's a lawyer. She's on TV. She's not only a lawyer, she's their chief legal analyst saying it's okay for what these people are doing. They are out there committing a crime. This isn't a peaceful protest. The law is very clear. You cannot go to a judge's home with intent to influence them. And an intent to intimidate them. And she's exactly right. That's exactly what they are saying on MSNB, or excuse me, on this in this case, on ABC's The View. She's talking about Sonny Hostin, the wild, radical racist on that panel, which uh, she continues to disparage not only white people, but black people that don't act like her. She called one black conservative panelist on their uh, program uh, an oxymoron. How can you be a black and a Republican? How dare you think for yourself and not like us? She said that out loud. She said the same thing about a Latina uh, panelist, Anna Navarro, who, by the way, is anything but a real conservative, but she does say she's a Republican. She said, I don't understand how anybody can be black or Latina and be a Republican. Well, what um, Pam Bondi just said about Sonny Hostin on The View defending the breaking of U.S. law by protesting at the homes, particularly at night, of the Supreme Court justices, she was right. Was, I was watching a lot of the protests that were mm-hmm. happening outside of some of the justices' homes, and my understanding is that um, Justice Alito has had to go into hiding mm-hmm. um, uh, because of this, um, you know, draft opinion that was leaked. And, and while I think he, he didn't have to go into hiding because of a draft opinion that was leaked. He had to go into hiding because of the illegal intimidation tactics and the thuggery being performed by your political party, being carried out against him and his family. He went into hiding, not because of his opinion, not because of the leak. He went into hiding because you and your radical extremist party put him and his family in danger. That's why he had to go into hiding. I think it is terrible that um, a justice would have to go into hiding. I think it is really clear to the justices now that, as Anna mentioned, 64 to 66 percent of Americans believe that the Supreme Court should uphold Roe v. Wade. That is a lie, an abject lie, easily disprovable. 
Over 74% of Americans want restrictions on abortion, if not outright abortion bans. I cited the poll many times last week. Taking a CNN survey and saying, do you like Roe v. Wade, and some idiot going, yeah, that doesn't mean that they are in favor of unrestricted abortions, which is exactly what the left has done. The left has gone from safe, legal, and rare to any time, for any reason, at any stage of gestation, all the way up to the moment of birth. And if you're Ralph Northam, the former governor of Virginia, even after birth, if the baby survives the abortion attempt, lay it on the table, and then have a conversation with the mom, and then you can decide whether or not you should try to save its life or let it die on the table. That's, that's literally what the new mantra of the left is when it comes to abortion. And no, 66% of Americans do not support that, you lying TV hostess. Right. And so that being said, um, maybe these protests and maybe this outcry gives Chief Justice Roberts some leverage for a more moderate Mm -hmm. approach. So what she's doing is literally justifying and defending the breaking of U.S. law and the intimidation tactics of the mob, the leftist extremist mob, by saying maybe this gets a message through to Chief Justice John Roberts. Don't do it. Don't let the draft opinion become the real opinion. Don't let this vote happen. Don't let this actually come to pass, because look at what's happening as a result of it. Now you can be more moderate, if for no other reason than to avoid riots in the United States. That is the literal textbook definition of attempting to influence the outcome of the case and an attempt to intimidate the decider of the outcome of a case whether it be a juror in a jury trial or a justice in a Supreme Court hearing. An attempt to influence and or intimidate. It is against federal law, and she is greenlighting it on television. Never, ever misunderstand or be deceived about what these people are and what, what it is that they are defending. 216 Charlie is in Westlake. Hi, Charlie. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. Interesting show. Very good. Hey, I'm looking at these pro-abortion uh, people. They're basically insurrectionists. They're attacking our republic by trying to intimidate our Supreme Court. I think the only thing that's going to do is galvanize the Supreme Court further to the right. And I'm all for that. And my big question is, once they decide that same-sex marriage is gone, do these old marriages, are they grandfathered in, or are, are they just going to be eliminated? What wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Wait, what did I miss there? Where did you go? Where did you go? From? I'm, taking, I'm taking a leap. I'm thinking the court is going to be so galvanized that they're going to make these decisions for us, and same-sex marriage is going to be on a chopping block. Are these grandfathered in? Are these old marriages grandfathered in, or are they just thrown out? What do you think? I think I don't know what in the hell you're talking about. <laughs> okay. All right. I, we, we're, we're going. The, the, the abortion issues. Are the, you making the, the argument issue. that the left makes that's because they what of what Biden said, where he said if they overturn Roe versus Wade, they're going to overturn uh, Obergefell next and outlaw same-sex marriages and, when one and, has nothing to do with the other. I do, I do. I think they're they're they're, they're saying it's impossible that that's going to happen. But I really think we should push it because that's what they're 
saying we're going to do, so we might as well get rid of this gay marriage stuff, which really has hurt our society. Charlie, you're not helping the cause, my friend. You're not helping the I cause know, at all here. You're, you're well, buying into the left's lunacy, and you're, you're actually saying we should give them what they fear is going to happen? You're 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 making yep. us look like right wing lunatics. You're making us look like we're 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 idiots. That if we go ahead and do this, and then they say that if or if Roe versus over uh, Roe versus Wade is overturned, then they're going to overturn the same sex marriage uh, 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 Supreme Court decision, uh, and that's a reason to intimidate us. You're saying thing, let's do it. That would be the best thing that could happen to America, and I'm for it. And if this is our shot, if they want to attack the court and say the court is. Off center, we'll, the court can decide, and let's decide. Let's, Charlie, let's, Charlie, we've already here, voted. here's we've the thing: I don't voted. think you need. I don't think, and, and thank you for the call. I don't think we can use the words "our side" here, when you make a statement like that, because you're not on my side. I'm not on your side. There's no "our side" if you think that's something we should do. Do I think that the Supreme Court should have allowed same-sex marriage? No, I do not, because marriage is not mentioned once in the document called the Constitution. Our founders never mentioned marriage. John Roberts had to had to essentially write in something that was never there before to legalize gay marriage by recognizing marriage in the Constitution. So I do not want that. You and I can be on the same side of that because that's the way it went down. But to give the left ammunition to say, see... Look at what what's happening. They're going to overturn Roe, then they're going to overturn uh, Obergefell. They're going, what what's next? They're already talking about it. Brown versus the Board of Education. They're talking about they're talking about the the, the right wing lunatic fringe controlling the Supreme Court as if the justices are right wing lunatics. They're not. I don't like giving them that ammunition, Charlie. You're not helping here. You're not helping here. No. No, I don't agree with that at all. Sam Alito, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett are not extremists. They're not radicals. You know what they are? They're constitutional originalists, which is exactly why they were chosen, exactly why they were nominated, exactly why they were confirmed, to simply rule by the Constitution. I do not want, and by the way, killing your baby is also not in the Constitution. I do not want the left getting any more ammunition by listening to people on the conservative side of things saying, let's do all of these things. You talk about asking for a national civil war, that's exactly what you'd be asking for. Charlie, I cannot abide by it. I know you're not a leftist. I know you are a conservative, but you are playing into the leftist hands when you make statements like that, and I can't be a part of it. 1124, right back, Always Right Radio. Okay, 1127 now. Always right radio. Let's go back to the phones. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Um, we're going to pop up uh, John here because uh, he wants to talk about abortion. Uh, John, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. I, I would like us to uh, totally humanize the unborn person. And the way to do it is we have to stop referring in any way using the word it. I know even when you say, well, it's a child, it's, we should just get rid of that word it, he or she is a child, or someone's son or daughter. 
constantly use that. Stop using the word it referring in reference to the unborn person because it's not an it. And so we shouldn't even say it's a child. We should say he or she is a child or he or she is someone's son or daughter or something of that nature. I've had success in talking to pro-choice people when I, const- when I, when I don't use the word it. it. It gives no out along with the fact that if you think about it, it's a, it's a good thing in another way because it solidifies that we have boys and girls, he and she, and they're not just one clump of human flesh. Well, I think, and thank you for the call. I appreciate that. Uh, and your point is well taken. I don't think anybody means anything by it when they do refer to, you know, the, the, you know, the unborn baby. And I don't even think too many people actually re- do refer to it as an it, uh, other than to say, as you just pointed out, it's not an it. It's not an it. It's not a clump of cells. It's not just a blob of protoplasm. It's not just a healthcare procedure. It's a baby. Saying it's a baby is still, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it dehumanizes. I don't think it does anything to, uh, you know, to add to the belief that it's not an actual person, that there isn't a person involved in there. I just think it's a matter of convenience in speaking. Typically, we do, particularly in this pronoun, you know, in this pronoun world uh, that has been created by the Rainbow Warriors, the, uh, the alphabet uh, mafia, if you will, uh, it kind of matters. It does, you know, with the she and he and so on and so forth. But in this particular case, when we're referring to something as a situation, not an individual, when we talk about it's not a uh, it's not a choice, it's a baby saying it's not a choice is saying that the situation is not a choice. The situation here involves a baby. So I think when people say that, or at least I'll speak for myself when I say it's not a choice, it's a baby, uh, it, it, I don't think it dehumanizes, but I do understand the point that you are making. All right, we'll take a quick time out here for news, bottom of the hour. we got time for a few more phone calls. Don't forget, if you don't get on the air during the next 15 minutes or so before we hand it over to Bill O'Reilly for the top of the hour, um, you will be able to call in to the Dennis Prager Show. I'll be hosting for Dennis from noon until 3 on the Salem News Channel on DennisPrager.com. The last two hours here on AM 1420, The Answer, of course, so you can still get to me. I'll be on the air with you in some way, shape, or form over the course of the next three and a half hours, so make sure you stick with us right here on Always Right Radio. the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny always right radio with bob france and the answer 216-901-0945-888-281-1110 or by way of the sound off button on always right.us hey bob i want you to go to the website let's fix stuff.org let's fix stuff.org Patrick Colbeck, that's his website. He's been working on election integrity ever since the 2020 election happened. He is coming out with a book called The 2020 Coup. Guess what, Bob? I agree with Patrick Colbeck. Our our country was stolen by coup via the election in 2020. And, and the Republicans and Democrats, also known as the Uniparty, don't care. They like it broken because they can cheat. Well, Bob, that's my message for today. I hope you 
go to that website and check it out. Tom in Medina County left that message for us on uh, alwayswrite.us. Appreciate that, Tom. And guess what? You're right. Of course it was stolen. In the interview I did earlier this morning with Catherine Engelbrecht provided a lot of evidence uh, to that. The interview that I did last week with uh, Dinesh D'Souza provides evidence of that. But moreover, the movie, 2,000 Mules, uh, provides all of the evidence that you need. I asked Catherine Engelbrecht this this morning, Does and, and I know the answer because I, I watched the movie last night, but for, for your benefit, I wanted to just get her to say it. Does the proof of voter fraud, ballot harvesting, ballot box stuffing in the key battleground states of Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, does it show that enough ballot fraud took place that would have flipped the outcome of the election? And the answer is unequivocally yes. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of ballots illegal ballots that were stuffed into boxes by election mules. And these are individuals, as they explain in the movie, um, they, they borrowed the term mules from drug traffickers or human traffickers. These are individuals who are hired and paid a fee to smuggle things across um, you know, our southern border or across the border, period. That's what a mule is. Well, in this case, the, the cargo wasn't drugs or humans. It was votes. It was ballots. And these mules delivered these to dozens and dozens of drop boxes in each of these very key battleground states and in very important, almost exclusively urban centers. Right? So I, I said, were there enough of those to flip the election? And the answer is absolutely yes. The course of history was changed by the theft of the 2020 election. And it's why so many of these very important voter integrity laws that have been passed in about i got to go back and check. I keep saying around a dozen and a half, I want to say around 18 to 20 states that have strengthened up their uh, voter integrity laws, including photo identification, including only one drop box per county, and that is at the county board of elections, where it will always be under video surveillance or individual personal surveillance. Um, you know, th- those are extraordinarily important things to make sure that we never, ever have another stolen election again. But the damage has already been done. And in my view, which is what I asked Catherine about and I talked to Dinesh about as well, um, what kind of punishment is, is, is sufficient here? If they do indeed and cannot or can track down the, not the mules, the mules themselves, you know, there's going to be a minor, um, you know, uh, punishment, if there were to be any for them, it's kind of like the, you know, the drug dealer that sells you the dime bag. That's not the guy that's going to prison if he gives up his supplier. So it's who is paying for and who is organizing and who is creating this massive number of illegal ballots to be able to hand to these individuals, especially in the 2020 summer slash fall of COVID, in which they decided to mail out scores of unrequested ballots, unrequested, all over the country. Those individuals are the ones that need to be put in prison. Those are the individuals that are the ones who need to pay a price in order for a deterrent effect to happen. You cannot have a deterrent effect unless you have punishment for those who committed the crime the first time. And I just think that's extraordinarily important. All right, John is in Berea next. Hi, John, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Morning. Uh... Hi, John. Hello? Yeah, go ahead, okay. sir. Okay. 
I, I have a theory about uh, how the leak occurred at the uh, Supreme Court, and that is that one of their employees saw the document, took a picture of it on their cell phone, and uh, that's how the information got out. So the answer is that um, employees at, at uh, the Supreme Court cannot be allowed to bring their cell phones into the uh, court during work hours. They have to check them at the door. And it's also probably someone, uh, if, if they can be investigated, uh, the cell phones, you'll find the who done it. Well, I'll be uh, truthful with you, John, and I thank you for the phone call. Um, I don't think so because of the last part of what you just said. The first part of what you said is exactly why I don't think, uh, or excuse me, the last part about what you said is why I don't think the first part of what you said is accurate. Anybody who's going to be willing to commit the crime of leaking Supreme Court documents and draft opinions, which has never before happened in the history of the court, Anybody willing to do that isn't going to provide a very easy roadmap to their discovery and their capture. They're not going to email the, the, the documents that they saw to the political reporter. It's such an easy trace and an easy track. Same thing. Anybody who may have access to the offices of those justices, including and especially the clerks, they're going to have, when the investigation is, is begun, they're going to have to surrender their documents, their computers, their cell phones, to see who took a picture, who sent what to whom and when and where, and they can delete it if they want, but all of the digital footprints are there, and it's very easy to track. It's my belief that whoever did this did it the old-fashioned way. They had access to those documents, but rather than take pictures of them with their cell phones, as you're pointing out, uh, and as I'm pointing out, I think it would be really very easy to, to, to be discovered. They took those documents and they made Xerox copies. They went to a copier, they made the copies, they put them back, and they delivered hard, physical paper copies to the political reporter who broke that story wide open. Because it would be a lot harder to track down hard copies uh, because the copy machines don't have digital footprints the way the uh, cell phones and the computers do. So that's my belief. And obviously, I hope they are very serious about trying to find an answer to this. I know Brandon doesn't want to know. I know they don't want to get anybody in trouble that they deem to be a national hero. But I hope that's exactly the way it goes down. All right. Thanks so much, Catherine Engelbrecht. Thanks to Peter Kersenow. Thanks to you. Thanks to Johnny. And thanks to everyone. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Stay here, though, if you'd like to. I am on for Dennis Prager for the next three hours. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.